Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Did you hear Nathan's, Nathaniel's objection? Uh, his theological or philosophical objection to following Jesus? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The slightly scornful response to Philip is one that probably resonates with most of us. Most of us, if we've, if we've tried to tell people about Jesus or about church, uh, likely we've heard a response like, well, what good will church do me anyway? What good can come out of it? How in the world can Christianity of belief possibly be the, the solution to my real problems? What good can come out of that? The assumption in all these cases, and what Nathaniel exemplifies, is that Christianity is, well, foolish, waste of time, not fulfilling, doesn't have the answer. Nathaniel's uh, taken the philosophical high ground, or so he thinks. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's shooting down Philip's, uh, Philip because he thinks he's too wise, too smart, too cultured, too whatever to bother with some, someone from s some small backwater town like Nazareth. He doesn't want to be associated with that. And it's reasonable. He, uh, there are no historical records of Nazareth prior to Jesus' birth in the first century. Um, not even the Old Testament talks about Nazareth. It was a small village of no real importance. It would be like somebody from New York or, or D.C. saying, what good can come out of a place like, like Oregon or, Oregon or, or, or Brooklyn, uh, our Brooklyn, um, or, or maybe actually closer to home, some educated intellectual from UW-Madison or or Platteville, or, or whatever other university, uh, saying uh, Christianity, that, that feel-good stuff about God, that has nothing to do with me. I'm smarter than that. This is Nathaniel. He wasn't an academic like the Pharisees, but he was uh, really, I think, the first century equivalent of what today would be a university-educated uh, student, a philosopher, in the sense that he loved wisdom. That's what philosophy means. Now, John's gospel is not short on wisdom. It's probably the most profound of the four gospels. It was written to combat Gnosticism. Uh, that is, people who were looking for some secret knowledge or gnosis. They believed that nothing good could come out of the earth at all. Uh, they would say that physical things aren't Aren't, aren't, aren't really that important. Physical things don't matter. Uh, body, bad. Physical things, bad. Uh, what's real is what you believe. So body, bad. Spirit, good. And if you believe the right things, well, you're in the in-group. And this is the world we're living in today again. Most people today are Gnostics without, without realizing it. Nathaniel, at this moment, is the poster child for Gnosticism. He's looking for knowledge as a means for gaining uh, influence, a status, a group, rather than any real truth. 
some antiquated religious uh, beliefs, especially from Nazareth, aren't a good look for him. He wants to climb the ladder of success and belonging. And we do the same. We decide something doesn't make any sense when we no longer want to be associated with the people who believe it. Just think of all of the shaming that goes on today over believing certain physical realities and how what's supposedly more real is, is what you believe. But all of this is really not a searching for knowledge, for meaning, uh, or, or, but meaning, uh, belonging, identity. And I think Nathaniel is like a lot of people today, perhaps our own family and friends. It's not that they hate Jesus, but that they actually are yearning for their religious or philosophical questions to be answered. They want enlightenment. But what they view Christianity as is this feel-good, mushy, backwater sentimentality. What's this guy from Nazareth going to be able to say to fill my need? How often when someone gives subjective objections like this, we counter with our own subjective uh, personal answers. Well, the church, church matters, or, or Jesus matters to me because it, it helps me get through my problems. Uh, uh, church, coming to church makes me feel good. The people there are really friendly. Well, these might be really good subjective reasons for you, but what about someone looking for something else? What about, what about people looking for truth? Uh, objective reasons, not evidence based on on personal experience or emotion. That's what Nathaniel actually means, I think, by his remark. But notice that Philip doesn't launch into a debate with him. He doesn't launch into a, into a debate uh, about his subjective experience of Nazareth. Well, give it a chance. Nazareth really isn't that bad. I've been there a few times. Yeah, it might be a little small. They might be a little uncultured. But the people are really friendly. Nazareth might be Nathaniel's hang-up, but Nazareth is not what Nathaniel needs anyway. Instead, Philip responds to Nathaniel's philosophical objection with simply, come and see. Come and see. Again, echoing Jesus' own invitation to Andrew just before this in John's Gospel. And implied in Philip's invitation, implied in his invitation, is that the answer to Nathaniel seeks he'll actually find in Jesus. Whatever he's looking for, he'll find in Jesus, who is wisdom incarnate. People today, maybe our own family, like Nathaniel, may have a lot of objections based on their experience of church or even the people there who believe. But church, in word and sacrament, is where Jesus locates himself. Church, in word and sacrament, is where Jesus locates himself. So Philip says, come and see. And it works. Nathaniel actually comes. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. And I love what Jesus says to him. He replies to Nathaniel's snarky response with genuine love. Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. 
You know, I think we would say this, at least I would say this with a, a little bit, maybe more than a little bit, uh, of a hint of sarcasm. Uh, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. All right, look, this guy's so wise. Uh, he, he's got everything figured out. He's right. What more can God show him than, he, than what he doesn't already know? But Jesus is being genuine. He knows what Nathaniel had just said, but he doesn't refute him. Jesus commends him. In Jesus' genuine call to Nathaniel, he references Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the deceiver, if you remember, uh, whom God then changes his name to, to Israel. Jesus says to Nathaniel, you are an Israelite indeed but without deceit. You speak the truth. You speak truthfully. And then Jesus gives Nathaniel the, the space, the intellectual space, to ask more questions. And for the first time, Nathaniel is met not with a subjective debate, but with love. He's a sinner, but it's for sinners whom Jesus has come. Today happens to be the commemoration of St. Ambrose. Uh, St. Ambrose, uh, from uh, the 300s uh, AD, is the father of Christian hymnody. Uh, uh, really introduced congregational singing uh, to the church. Uh, and he loved the imagery of light from John's gospel here. And what we've been singing about in the two hymns that we've sang so far, those are both his. That Jesus, not knowledge, is the true light. Jesus is wisdom incarnate. A little story about St. Ambrose. Uh, St. Ambrose is responsible for bringing uh, St. Augustine, who is probably the greatest theologian in the history of the church, back into the Christian faith. Uh, Augustine was on a, uh, on a path very similar to Nathaniel. Uh, Augustine had left the church as a teenager, and he went uh, away to the best university he could find, um, when he wanted to get away from home, away from his parents, uh, because he planned to be the, the, the philosopher of his day. He, he wanted to be in the in-group. And, and the church and, and his parents didn't really fit that, that image. And he fell in with a group, he fell in with a group called the Manichaeans, uh, who are essentially the rationalists of his day. As James K. A. Smith writes, they, they prided themselves on having escaped superstition and the embarrassment of believing instead of arriving at the shore of enlightened knowledge. These Manichaeans, these rationalists, would scoff at the old wives' tales of Christianity. But they promised a, a, more of a status than anything. They, they promised a status. You, you won't look like some backwater Christians if you join us, uh, more than they offered anything real, anything, any real wisdom or any real truth. And so Augustine likewise began to believe and concluded that, that Christianity, Christians, were, were simple, backwater, and bigoted. But then he met Ambrose. And not only was Ambrose able to actually answer his questions, because Ambrose had actually studied Scripture and believed it, but moreover, Ambrose was able to show him love, genuine love. Ambrose gave him a, a spiritual home, a sanctuary, 
belonging. Ambrose showed Augustine the love of Jesus for him. And through his preaching of Jesus, Augustine came to know true wisdom. And he found what he had been seeking. Ambrose had given Augustine the, the intellectual space to realize that the Christianity, uh, that the Christianity he rejected was not real Christianity. Augustine later said that, that he thought, or that though he had not yet verified that the church was teaching the truth, he admitted it plainly was not teaching what he'd accused it of teaching. This is why the invite, come and see, is so powerful. Because as we heard last week, this is where God locates himself. Christians are, are not those who merely suspend intellectual knowledge and, and put aside facts to believe in God, but rather, through Jesus, come to know true wisdom. Knowledge, for knowledge's sake, is cold and meaningless. And if anything is irrational, it's not Christianity. If anything is irrational, it's that we could be the answer to our own problems, that we are our own best hope. How sad and irrational is that? But in the words of Ambrose, disciple Augustine, you cannot be your own light. You just can't. We are in need of enlightenment. But we are not the light. Jesus is. And wisdom is personified in him. And through Jesus, all the physical, all the real, all the historical facts begin to mean something. As Solomon says in Proverbs, happy is the man who finds wisdom. That's Jesus, Sophia, uh, the personification of wisdom. And the man who gains understanding for her proceeds. Wisdom's pro proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her gain more than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies. All the things that you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days is in her right hand. In her left hand, riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. Jesus knows what Nathanael needs. Jesus answered Nathanael, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Of course, Jesus says God saw Nathanael, but, but there's something more going on here. The fig tree in the Old Testament was a symbol of Israel's early love for God. Like, a, like the passion of a young, uh, a young person's first love. You know, they sit adoringly under the fig tree, maybe carving a little heart in it with the, the initials of the person that they, that they, that they adore and they love. Uh, and, and all this happens before they start coveting other things. That love is the most important thing to them. But soon they begin to, 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 to long and seek after other things, and they forget their first love. And so the fig tree is a sign of, of renewed hope, a uh, hope in a renewed relationship with God. Jesus has come to Nathanael to woo him back to God. Nathanael had gone coveting over uh, after and looking for worldly knowledge and acceptance. But the truth, the wisdom he really needs is Jesus. What he really is looking for is found in Jesus. 
And Jesus says, so you don't think you have anything to gain by following me. Just watch. You will see greater things than all of these. And he said to him, most assuredly I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. That's another reference to Jacob, who had a vision where he saw uh, the ladder to heaven, the staircase to heaven with angels uh, ascending and descending on it. Remember, uh, Jacob had named that place where he saw that, he named it Bethel, uh, or the house of God, or the tabernacle. Jesus is here explaining that vision. The angels of God were ascending and descending, not upon it, not upon the ladder, but upon the Son of Man. The true tabernacle is where God dwells, where God locates himself among his people. You're not going to find what you're looking for by climbing some social ladder. The connection between heaven and earth is not a structure, be it ladder or a building, but a person. Jesus, the Son of Man, in him is true enlightenment, not by our minds ascending to, to, to him, not, not ascending to some greater knowledge, but by God descending to us in the person of Jesus Christ. So come and see. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be forevermore. Amen.